I am Pastor Corrine Boroff, Senior Pastor at Anderson First United Methodist Church. Thank you for listening to our worship service today. If you want to learn more about this church, visit our website at andersonfirst.org. Have a blessed day and enjoy the message. Our lesson today is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 23. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature does. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
wanted to start with a very serious question, and I want to see a show of hands. So get your hands free and ready. Okay. How many of you have ever driven a car or ridden in a car? I would say about everybody, right? The rules of the road affect all of us. And when we think about the rules of the road, whether we're driving or riding, the place that we would find those rules would be in the Bureau of Motor Vehicles Driver's Manual. You know that booklet you kind of have to memorize to get your driver's license in the first place, right? To take that test. The one that I think I memorized with all three kids as I helped them get ready for that, right? Probably been there too. Well, within that book, some of those rules, I mean, we know them. For instance, there's the color of signs. One that we're very familiar with, especially if you've driven on any of the highways in the past months, and those are the orange signs. Those are temporary change signs, most of the time for construction zones, orange. Then we have green signs. Those are permanent information signs. That would be a sign like the distance to Indianapolis is given to us when we're driving along. So you get the distance to nearby cities or exits that are coming up. Then you have the brown signs. The brown signs are those cultural or recreational directional signs that point us in the direction of, for example, a state park. So those are some of the colors of signs. We have blue signs, which gives us amenities. So if you're wanting to figure out if this exit has a certain restaurant or not or a filling station, you'll look for a blue sign. It will give you the amenities at that exit. So those are some of the colors, not the only colors that we watch for. We look at a stoplight, right? The colors change. And we all know at a red light, you, at a green light, you, yellow is a little trickier, <laughs> right? I've noticed around here that yellow tends to be defined as speed up and get through there. If you read the manual, it's for slow down. Your right of way is about to end. <laughs> so we maybe need to review our manual a little bit. <laughs> but then we also have the lines in the roads. And sometimes I've been passed by people that don't pay attention to those sometimes. <laughs> uh, any yellow or white, if it's a broken line, you can pass if it's safe to do so. If it is a solid white or a solid yellow line, you are not to pass. And I thought it was interesting in the manual as I was reading through, there's a sentence that stands alone. When being passed, do not speed up. Have you ever drag race down to see how fast they'll go to get around you, right? So those are just some of the rules of the road. Now, my guess is nobody has read that recently, right? 
We just know those. We know those different. They have just become a part of our life when we're in the driving. If we're a passenger, we assume that our driver knows those. We don't even think about them. We just take it all for granted that the people coming at us will obey by those rules too. These are rules that are set to keep us safe. They're rules that help us thrive. Can you imagine getting in a car where there wasn't any rules of the road? It would be utter chaos. People would be driving on both ways on a one-way road. They would just drive in any lane that they chose to drive in. There would be no stopping. They would just go. It'd be utter, utter chaos. So the rules allow us to thrive, to not be concerned. We can get from point A to point B without being concerned, or we ought to be able to, without being concerned about people following those rules. Well, we have a heritage set by John Wesley, and he saw that there were certain rules that Christians needed to follow. Eventually, they were called three simple rules. But John Wesley called them general rules, and those general rules are still listed in our book of discipline today. The book of discipline is that book that helps the church organize itself, both at the local church level and at the larger church level, the general church level. It tells us how to organize ourselves. It also has statements of faith in there. And these general rules of John Wesley are still relevant for us today. There is still a part of that. Bishop Reuben Jones kind of simplified those. He put them in more contemporary language because you see John Wesley wrote these in the 1700s. And so Reuben Bishop Job put them in the language that we could embrace called them three simple rules. The book is tiny. Just a very small booklet describing these three simple rules. But they're foundational to who we are as Methodists. You see, John Wesley was the one, an Anglican priest in England, who began to organize people in what were called classes. When you were placed within a class of John Wesley, a little bit different than our Sunday school class or our small groups that we have today, but about the same size, when people were placed into a class, it was mandatory attendance. Within those classes, he would always begin a class, and they were instructed to begin a class with one specific question, and then there were others. But the one specific question you began with is, how is it with your soul? That's a pretty powerful question, isn't it? How is it with your soul? We generally say, how you doing? Fine, good. Glad to see you. Right? How is it 
with your soul. And John Wesley was concerned for everyone. You see, Reuben Joan, or Reuben Job, Bishop Reuben Job, wrote this small little booklet, and in there he describes that these rules are simple enough that the youngest child could understand them. You see, the rules are, do no harm, do good, love God. Pretty simple, right? And therefore, everyone, every age, can embrace these rules. And you see, what John Wesley did was something that was completely against the culture of the church of his time. And you might recognize some of this culture alive and well yet today. You see, the church in John Wesley's time was saying, you come to church, you believe in God, and you are saved. And when you break away from God, you are forgiven. But they also believed that people were pretty hardwired for who they were going to be. There were some good eggs and there were some bad eggs. And if you were born a good egg, you were blessed. And if you were born a bad egg, you were pretty hopeless. And so the role of the church at John Wesley's time was basically to say who could be forgiven and who couldn't. Who was a lost cause? Well, John Wesley raised up the Methodist groups, the classes, and he said, no, we believe in God, and when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we become new. We are changed. It's kind of like this merry-go-round of sinning and forgiving, going back and forth and back and forth ends. Instead, John Wesley says, no, we may need forgiven, but we'll need forgiven less and less and less because we become more like God. We move on toward a perfect love of God. It's kind of like, I was trying to think of an analogy for this, and when I was young, I was very, very athletic and very outdoorsy. Outdoors as much as I could possibly be outside. And I did everything outside. I mean, my father built me a skateboard. I was a pretty good skateboarder. I would skateboard and bicycle and run and jump rope and played football and baseball with the neighborhood kids, climbed trees. I was all over the place all the time. One of the favorite things was jumping out into the alley, there was an old barn, and we would jump from the hayloft 
I mean, it was kind of like a dare. I dare you to jump. Well, if they dare me, <laughs> off I went. I always had skin knees. Always. I was always had pea gravel I was having to clean out of skinned up knees and always had bandages on my knees. Now, some of you could probably relate to that. But if you think of it on a spiritual level, if you think of all those times that we sin, a sin is like getting a skinned up knee. And when you're forgiven, you get a Band-Aid. And John Wesley came along and said, no, our faith is not an endless supply of Band-Aids. That's not what it's tended to function as. Our faith is intended to function to help us walk more safely. To walk closer to God and not fall down as much so that we need a band-aid or that we need forgiven. That we would walk with God. We would learn how to do that. Well, he just blew the minds of people of the church in his day. That was so radical. Folks, this is who you are. This is what it means to be a Methodist. That we change. That we become more and more and more like God. And John Wesley saw too that just having people meet Jesus Christ and acknowledge that they are saved wasn't enough. If you were a part of John Wesley's groups, you were met Jesus Christ, you received his gift of salvation, and then you became a part of a class. Remember, attendance was required. And the class meetings would study these three simple rules. It would give a new believer a place to begin. But they realized very, very shortly that these three simple rules would take a lifetime to perfect. And the very first one of those rules is do no harm. Do no harm. Now most of us could say, well, I've got that one down. I would never intentionally do any harm. Right? Even our medical field has the medical oath, and it begins with, do no harm, right? You know that. And it says, do no harm, which means doing no harm, whether intentionally or unintentionally. The same for us. But unfortunately, we do harm intentionally. Intentional harm is um, gossiping not giving a person the benefit of the doubt, thinking the worst before you know the facts. 
and spreading those thoughts. Very harmful, very destructive. Our newspapers full of, and news broadcasts are just full of people that do harm, intentionally do harm. It happens. It's out there. We participate in that. We also unintentionally harm others. For example, an unintentional way to harm people is not to put your grocery cart back in the cart tray or cart stall, whatever they're called, when you leave, uh, say, from Meyer. You say, well, how can that do any harm? I just leave it kind of off to the corner. If the wind blows really hard, for example, you've just left your cart out there. The wind blows really hard and it bangs into a car uh, forced by the wind. Now, you've long since gone, left your cart out there, breaks the rear um, light on an automobile. So the driver comes out, the light's broken. On their way home from Meyer, they get pulled over because they have a light in the back end that's out. And they're fined. And they can't afford the fine. You've caused harm unintentionally. And so we need to be aware of how our actions or inaction can affect others, what the consequences of those are. Hence, a very simple rule that is really hard to live out takes a lifetime of moving on to perfection. And then there's self-harm. We can harm ourselves. I thought it was interesting, and one of those ways that we can harm ourselves, it's been recorded that college students in USA Today reported with a survey done of 40,000 college students that one of the things that is causing the most harm on college campuses is the idea that they have to be perfect. They have to reach perfectionism to be socially acceptable, to feel safe, to be worthy. They have to be perfect, not just in grades, but in their physical features, everything about them. They have to have perfection. And it's killing our young folks. It's destroying them. Depression, anorexia, suicide. And this idea that they have to be perfect is causing so much harm to themselves. We have to be careful of our health. Stay healthy emotionally, spiritually, physically in order to not cause ourselves harm. So those are some of the ways 
that we can look at. Now you think, is it really possible to live in a complex, violent world and do no harm? I mean, really, Pastor? Is that really possible? Well, I've got a whole chorus of people that say, yes, it is. One of those being your own Bishop Michael Coiner. If you've read any of the articles recently written about him, the title that he's been given is A Unifier of People. He did no harm. He practiced that rule. He was intentional about that. And he could create a space in doing so where people could come together and he, it allowed people to work together, a safe place for that. It allowed the Holy Spirit to work in them as well. Michael Coiner would say yes to that. John Wesley would say yes to that. Our Apostle Paul who wrote the Galatians passage, would say yes to that. He gave a full description of what it would look like if we lived doing harm. It would be destructive. It would be biting. It would be deceptive. He goes on and lists in verses 19, 20, and 21, he lists 16 different ways that doing harm lives itself out in our lives. And he ends that phrase with, and more. So he doesn't list them all. And more. But when we do no harm, it opens the space for the Holy Spirit to work. And there can be those nine fruit of the Spirit that are allowed to live within us. Is it possible to live in a complex and violent world and do no harm? Jesus would say yes. Remember that passage from Matthew 5, 39, where he says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, give them and turn, let them strike you on the left as well. And you say, but pastor, that just makes you just kind of a rug that people walk on. There's no dignity in that. Well, you need to understand what Jesus was doing. The hand of power was seen as the right hand. If you were to slap someone on the left the cheek, it would be the left cheek. You would slap with the back of your hand. That was meant as an insult. If you turned and offered your right hand, the only way they could strike you is with a fist on the cheek. To be struck with a fist is not an insult. Now that sounds weird. That's a little bit harder hit, right? 
But to be struck with a fist in Jesus' day meant you were an equal. So what that basically is saying is, I don't accept your insult. I am an equal of yours. Jesus wasn't saying, be somebody's doormat. He was showing that there was power in not harming another. And so you see, as we live by the rules of the road without even thinking, my hope and prayer is that we can too live by these simple rules without even thinking, beginning with do no harm. Amen.